great northwest comes the legendary Bigfoot. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz. We are talking with Don Keating of the Eastern Ohio Bigfoot Investigation Center. And if you'd like to join in the discussion, we got about 10 minutes here until the news. Give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Now, Don, when you're out in the field looking for these uh, creatures, what, what type of uh, precautions do you take in your investigation? I mean... Just what would an investigation entail? Would you be out, you know, sitting in a car? Would you be out camping in a tent? How, how do you go out and, and search these creatures down? Well, a lot of the times what we'll do is we will go to an area. Uh, if it's not on a residence property or if it's not at Salt Fork State Park, something like that, um, if we're in, like, one of the wildlife areas, we would just sit alongside the road, you know, stand outside of the car and uh, just be keen. Uh, we listen to everything closely. We... Just chit chat like we do normally. You don't want to, you don't want to act abnormal. Uh, you just want to act normal because a lot of the sighting reports are of these things, these creatures walking up to someone who was just doing an ordinary activity outside, uh, walking up to that area, and they happen to see it. So we, you know, we're very cautious about what's going on around us with other people if there are other people in the area. Uh, but other than that, you know, we'll just go out to an area and act, act. Try to act normal. <laughs> See if something happens. I mean, from the reports that I've read, it definitely seems like they're not trying to be noticed. So it's not like uh, going out and waving your arms around is going to make them come out and say hi. Oh, that's very true. Yeah. Um, here again, that goes back to the the uh, mo of going out to an area where recent sightings or track discoveries have taken place, and just by chance happening to happen to encounter one of these things, which. Uh, Unfortunately, to this point in time, that's, that's not happened, but uh, that's one of the things that we do is just try to go to an area where some things have happened and see if we might get there and be lucky enough to have a chance encounter with it. Now, about how close of an encounter would you want to have with one of these creatures? Oh, uh, depends on how brave you feel that day, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm just talking to you personally. I mean, would you want to see one face up, you know, eye to eye or... Do you want a I safe would, distance? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd like to get rather close to them. I'd like to be uh, close enough to see the color of their eyeballs. That's for sure. I, I you know, I don't, I don't want to see something from a couple hundred yards away and not get a good look at it. I want to see this thing really close. Um, something that's going to leave a lasting memory for sure. And of course, you know, I don't think it's really that dangerous to people unless you really provoke it. And, there's been nothing in the way of uh, reports where someone has been brutally attacked by one of these things because of just being out in the woods. But, yeah, I'd like to see it rather up close. I mean, unfortunately, there are a number of people that are out there, you know, with a stun gun and a, and a giant net, you know, yeah. hoping to, to put the thing down and, and capture it. But I, I think, you know, what you think is correct, where if you just, you know, if you don't, pro- like any animal, if you don't provoke it, you can pretty much interact with it until you become a threat. Uh, and I think it's sheer size is what is makes people, you know, so timid about being able to approach it. But for all we know, you know, it's going to be like a deer. You know, if it sees us, it's going to stop, freeze for a second, and then take off as fast as it can. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the case. I don't, I don't have a, 
part of anything in the way of reported sightings in my file if it indicates that this thing got closer to a person after it spotted them or the person spotted it. Uh, a lot of the times, or the, practically every time, uh, once a person does see it and it happens to see the person, it stops for a second and then just turns around and walks away at a casual pace. Yeah, they just seem to be more deer-like than bear-like, at least in the reports that, that we hear. Right, that's true. I mean, and that's another thing, too, is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, somebody saw a Bigfoot and it was probably just a bear. And, you know, bears can walk on two legs. Bears don't really walk on two legs. They just stand on two legs, don't they? That's true. They just stand on two legs. Uh, the only time you'll really see a bear in, in uh, all of my studies on bear activity, and, you know, you've got to do a lot of it to make sure people aren't seeing bear instead of a Bigfoot or vice versa. The only time they'll stand up on their two legs is, uh, when they're sniffing something in the air, when they catch scent of something, or when they're fighting. Uh, and that's that's really about it. Bears don't walk upright on two legs. Uh, the only time you ever see a bear appear to walk on two legs is when they're they're fighting each other and they're uh, in combat. And here's what I always think is the, the hardest question for any Bigfoot researcher to answer because, you know, you have to take all the, the data that you have that, you know, points to the existence of these creatures and then... You know, this one question is what changes a lot of people's minds. How come we've never found the body of one? How come we've never found the remains of one of these creatures? Well, I think uh, I can only speak for Ohio in particular, since that's, a, that's my home home location. Uh, Ohio has a very acidic soil, and uh, it has all kinds of carnivores out there. You've got coyotes, you've got buzzards, you have all type of uh, meat-eating critters out there um, I, I always use the example of a complete skeletal remains of a deer uh, Ohio has well over half a million deer they have thousands of them harvested every deer gun season late November early December uh, but yet if you're a, a hiker or outdoorsman a hunter whatever the case may be I ask a lot of those folks how many complete skeletal remains of white-tailed deer do you ever see while you're in the woods? Sure. And they say, yeah, you're right. Next to none. You don't see them at all. And that's because after a deer or any animal dies in the woods, nature has a way of taking care of its own. Uh, the, acid, the, uh, the soil in Ohio is very acidic. That will wear on the bones rather quickly. I, Ohio also has what they call deer mice. Deer mice are calcium feeders. They'll work on the bones as well. And your other scavengers, such as coyotes, uh, or wild dogs, they'll, they won't sit there and feed on a deer unless, you know, they're really tired or whatever. They'll just take bits and pieces of a deer and run with it and eat it wherever they happen to stop. So, um, I, I think that's, uh, a large, large part of why we haven't found one of these animals yet dead in the woods is because, uh, nature has a way of taking care of its own. If you look at the, the elephant in Africa, you're talking about a four ton four-ton animal, and within 72 hours, the vast majority of that elephant is wiped off of the face of the earth after it's dead because of the scavengers in Africa. So nature does have a way of taking care of its own. Oh, there you go. Take that, skeptics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don, we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. We'd, we'd definitely like to have you back in the future for another program, too. Well, I would, I, would, I would like to do that, but I do want to mention something real quickly. I heard you at the beginning talking about Seeing you guys on uh, the History Channel, I'm not sure what 
program you're talking about. Well, we're going to be on Monster Quest, which I'm sure is a show that you watch quite frequently. Well, yes, and as a matter of fact, if you tune into Monster Quest on Wednesday, June 18th at 9 p.m., there is going to be an Ohio Bigfoot episode on there, and I'm in much of that. Excellent. So you're on right after the week right after we are. Oh, you're on next week? Yeah, we're on this, this Wednesday coming up. Great. I'll be tuning in. Next, they couldn't ask for two better weeks. Ratings are going to be through the roof, Don. There you go. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. You guys have a good weekend, and keep in touch. You too. Stay safe out there. Okay. That is Don Keating, Eastern Ohio Bigfoot Investigation Center. EOBIC.com is the website. And, yes, you heard, uh, we will be on Monster Quest this Wednesday night at eleven o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock. Matt Moniz and myself uh, will be on, uh, along with Jeff Belanger, talking about the ghost of Lizzie Borden as they, they hunt down Lizzie Borden's ghost. And that's about all we can say because that's what's on the info on my, my TV. So we know that we can go that far at least anyway. Matt Costa couldn't be there because he was working, and plus he's skeptical. So Monster Quest is like, no, no, we don't want the guy that doesn't believe in stuff. That will kind of ruin what we're doing. No, I'm just kidding. We just didn't tell you about it. That's true. <laughs> you knew well in advance. I know. You just couldn't get the day off. It happens. That's all right. There'll be plenty more documentaries for you to be had. And, and how, how to record a radio show probably won't be the one. <laughs> if you're listening to this on podcast and you just jumped into the middle, we apologize. But uh, whatever's going on here in the studio, it's probably my fault. It's my computer. So I'll, I'll take the blame for this one. All right, well, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, we will bring you the Week and Weird. We'll talk about some of the strangest stories out there this week. Then we'll also talk about some upcoming paranormal events that you can take part in. And then a little bit later on, we'll be joined by Andy Lake of the Greenville Paranormal Research. He'll talk with us about some of his investigation experience. And Matt Moniz has these giant casts here that look like... Uh, they look like they were some sort of creature that wasn't Matt Moniz, so, which I suspected all the Bigfoot sightings around here was just him running around naked in the woods. So uh, we'll talk about all that and more coming back right after the news here on Spooky South Coast. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, and also in the studio with us is Andy Lake of Greenville Paranormal Research. And uh, we've got some, some stuff to talk to you about, but it won't hurt, Matt Moniz, if one more time we plug uh, Monster Quest this Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. I've been plugging the crap out of it everywhere I go. I've been seeing that, yeah. Yeah, you saw that a couple newspaper stories there the last couple days, and... Yeah, we just we want to get the word out there. We're very very proud of uh, being able to be a part of that, and happy happy to be a part of that. Thank you, Jeff, again for inviting us along and, and mentioning us to the producers. And thank you, Leanne, for letting us be there all that time to collect all that stuff. I know, and and thank you for just 
buying the place and keeping it open to the public and to paranormal researchers like ourselves. And, you know, we highly recommend that people get in there. And it's, it's going to be a little bit hard to get in there right now because it's summertime and, you know, the rooms are filling up. But you can get in there one night. Uh, you can get in there the night of August 4th, the anniversary of the murders, because uh, there's an online auction for the murder room, for the uh, John Morse room where Abby Borden was killed. They're going to be doing that again. The auction kicked off on June 1st, which is the anniversary of Lizzie Borden's death. And now it's up there on eBay. So if you look for Lizzie Borden on eBay and you'll find it. I think the bidding started at like 275 and I think it was still right around there, which is what the room goes for for the night. Right. And the winner last year was over 1500 bucks. I think it was uh, just over 1000 Yeah. But uh, and that gentleman is definitely going to be in the bidding again, I'm sure, this year. But I guess what happened last year, uh, what Leanne was saying happened last year, was like the last half an hour uh, that the auction was going on, you know, it skyrocketed after, you know, it was going up pretty good. But then that last half an hour, it really jumped. I think when I looked, it was up to something like six or seven hundred, and then I saw that it closed out at a thousand, like a half an hour later. So, definitely make sure that if you want to bid and you're willing to pay, you know, more than a thousand dollars, get your bid up there now, and then maybe you have a chance at staying in the room where Mrs. Borden was killed on the anniversary of the murders. A couple other things we want to let you know about as well. Uh, coming up this Monday, if I can find the paper here, I swear I have it. This Monday will be a special event with our friend Chris Balzano. He'll be speaking at this month's Dining with the Dead at the Haunted Wyndham Restaurant in Wyndham, New Hampshire. The eatery has a long history of hauntings, and the monthly event has been a magnet for ghostly experiences and great eats. Chris will be speaking about the Bridgewater Triangle, Dark Woods, his new book, and the new movement to give the paranormal back to the storyteller. It will be a night of good food, good spirits, and a little talk of hauntings. The event is sponsored by the New England Ghost Project, and tickets can be purchased at their site, neghostproject.com. The cost for this night is only $35, and tickets must be purchased in advance. That $35 includes the speaker, dinner, taxes, and gratuities. Drinks are not included. If you'd like to find out more about the Wyndham Restaurant, it's windhamrestaurant.com, W-I-N-D-H-A-M, restaurant.com. It's located at 59 Range Road in Wyndham, New Hampshire. If you want to give them a call, 603-870-9270. But again, if you want to buy tickets for Dining with the Dead with guest Chris Balzano, then you want to go to neghostproject.com. Sorry, I can't go up there because you know, it sounds... Anytime I can eat with Balzano in the room, it's always good. Because uh, he usually makes me spit milk through my nose or <laughs> something to that. I can't even eat when Belanger's in the room. Forget it. I'll just food will be shooting out of my mouth as I laugh. Then coming up June twenty seventh, two thousand eight, the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society presents their monthly lecture series with Ghosts and Hauntings director Deborah Ahern. She'll be talking about ghostly photos, fact or fiction. Did you ever wonder how all of the alleged paranormal photographs and videos circulating around the world could be real? Well they're not. Join Ghost and Hauntings director Deborah Hearn as she takes you through a crash course in ghost photography one oh one. During this discussion, such topics as camera equipment, ectoplasm, mists, shadows, faces, and the ever-popular orb will manifest. She'll also explain what her research and experiments in this area have revealed. It's a multimedia presentation, and audience participation is encouraged. Ghost photography and all it entails has become a very controversial subject and is sure to spark some interesting conversation. So that'll be coming up on Friday, June 27, 2008, at the Cape Cod Community College, uh, just off Route 6, I believe, off uh, Exit 6, right off Route 3. Real easy to get to. 
Check out their website, capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com, for more information. And, of course, anybody who frequents the forum at SpookySouthCoast.com and has put up uh, evidence, pictures there, they know that Deb has a very critical eye when it comes to photos because she's it's hard to really get her to, to um, put faith in something being paranormal. I mean, she, she tears right through them. So if you ever have a photo that you really want analyze and scrutinize that's the place to do it and let her know and she's she's just got the eye you know she knows where to look for that you know what, whatever it might be that tips off that it's that it's uh i don't want to say fake but you know that it there might be another explanation so and i think that matt costa i know you'll agree with me on this i think that a lot of times now there's a lot of people who are too willing to believe every photo that they see oh yeah definitely especially with orbs and camera straps and the and that's uh, and that's the one thing about Deb is like she can pick that stuff up right away, so. And the ever-present finger in the uh, corner of the yep. camera. Yep. Guilty of that. So um, <laughs> make sure too when you go to that event uh, on Friday, June twenty-seventh, that you bring uh, any photos you might have with you as well and show them to Deb and have her take a look at them. So. There you have it. Those are our announcements for this week. If you have anything you want us to know about, anything you want us to announce on the show, just email it to us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. But now, let's get a little weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. The Week in Weird. All right, and our first story this week is kind of appropriate for the subject matter of tonight. Bigfoot and lake monsters, beware, there's a price on your heads. Binocular manufacturer Bushnell, along with Field and Stream magazine, have teamed up to offer $1 million to anyone who can provide, uh, anyone who can, quote, provide an unaltered photograph or video verified and substantiated by a panel of scientific experts including a zoologist and a biologist, the evidence required to prove it exists, a Bigfoot exists. The contest started a few days ago and it ends December 15th, but before heading out to claim your million, note that the rule's fine print states that they are not liable for any injury occurred during a Bigfoot attack. A good quality Bigfoot image would make history. Most photos are of such consistently poor quality that within the Bigfoot research community, there's even a name for typically blurry Bigfoot image. Do you guys know what it is? Blob Squatch. Oh, this is, of course, a marketing promotion and not a genuine search for Bigfoot. There's no way to authenticate a Bigfoot photograph by itself. The image is simply a two-dimensional pattern of pixels. To truly prove a Bigfoot exists, you'd need corroborating hard evidence like a body, teeth, or bones. Well, we can talk about this a little bit later on. <laughs> Bigfoot isn't the only monster whose proof of existence commands cash. Larry Nielsen, Larry Nielsen a boat owner from Salt Lake City, Min- from Lake City, Minnesota, is offering a reward for their local lake monster. Uh, Peepie? Does that sound right? You guys know about Peepie? The mysterious beast said to lurk in Lake Pepin, or maybe it's Peppy, just with only one P, was supposedly seen on April 28, 1871, and only rarely since then. According to Nielsen, you don't actually have to capture the beast. The Lake City Tourism Bureau has announced a $50,000 reward for undisputable evidence that proves the existence of the real-life creature living in Lake Pepin. The proof should include photographs and or examples of skin or fins that can be studied for a DNA analysis. 
Savvy marketers have been using monsters in promotions for over a century. In 1873, the great American showman P.T. Barnum offered a $50,000 reward for Champ, the monster supposedly living in Vermont's Lake Champlain. He planned to exhibit the creature in New York, but even that fortune wasn't enough to snare the creature, and in 1887, Barnum offered 20000 for the monster, dead or alive. Well, I guess maybe a recession. He still had no takers. More recently, Bigfoot has been used to promote everything from pizza to monster trucks to beef jerky, and virtually every town near a lake with a reputed monster has profited economically from increased tourism. So there you go. Field and Street Magazine and Bushnell teaming up $1 million for undisputable photographic evidence of the existence of Bigfoot. Matt, I want you to take your shirt off. I brought my camera. Yeah. I'll split the money with you. Well, now you're talking. Yeah. Well, usually we claim cost as a Sasquatch, so today it's you. you know, we're <laughs> trying to mix it up a little bit. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. A group, of, a group in Santa Fe, New Mexico, says the city is discriminating against them because they say they're allergic to wireless Internet signal, and now they want, a, they want Wi-Fi banned from public buildings. Arthur Furstenberg says he is highly sensitive to certain types of electric fields, including wireless Internet and cell phones. I get chest pains and that, that doesn't go away right away, he said. Furstenberg and dozens of other electrosensitive people in Santa Fe claim that putting up Wi-Fi in public places is a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The city attorney is now checking to see if putting up Wi-Fi could be considered discrimination. But City Councilor Ron Trulio says areas are already saturated with a wireless Internet. It's not 1692, it's 2008. Santa Fe needs to embrace this technology, and it's not going away, Trulio said. The city attorney hopes to have this legal recommendation by the end of the month. So this is a legitimate medical condition? I guess so. Do they have scientific documentation from medical doctors saying that people can be allergic to the Wi-Fi? Ar- the article didn't say. But or is it know. just a simple case of they don't want the damn hippies bringing their That's Wi-Fi so into the town? Because I don't want damn hippies bringing anything into my town, but <laughs> I like Wi-Fi. I don't see anything wrong with it. I can't imagine. I mean, Matt Moniz, you're, you know, in the scientific field, so you might be able to answer these questions a little bit better. But, I mean, it seems like, I I guess, you know, people can have a reaction to EMF waves. Uh, Some people, you know, even have allergy, not allergies, but they have a reaction to radio waves, microwaves. I mean, people do get feelings from these different frequencies. But, I mean, have you heard anything about people being affected by Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi specifically, no. I think this is just somebody looking for attention, personally. It's just uh, we don't want those darn it's, yuppies in there. It's crazy laptops. New Mexico. I mean, you get higher concentrations of EMF from a police car going by with uh, you know, it's all its radios and stuff like that, or a CB in a uh, truck. Well, you've been to New Mexico, Matt. Yes, it's I have. just a bunch of jerks out there or something, or what? <laughs> No, actually, no, I'm just it's very pretty out there, actually. <laughs> I know they're not jerks out there. We have a g- lot of great listeners out there in New Mexico. I'm just kidding. But uh, if you are out there, you, you want to find out what's up with your neighbors trying to block the Wi-Fi. Because if you don't have Wi-Fi, Matt Costa... What's the point? What, what, what do you need Wi-Fi for? So you can go Let's, to SpookySouthCoast.com? Yeah, possibly. Check out the podcasts and download previous shows and keep up to date with what's going on. And exactly. Go to buy. the Spooky South Coast store and order some shirts. And yeah, get some shirts or order some books from some of our fine guests. Plug, plug, plug. All right. <laughs> Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? Uh, I 
have something from the Than Nine in news. In uh, Qianyan province, authorities have reported the discovery of metal debris believed to be fragments from the explosion of an unidentified flying object or UFO to the central government, the official said Friday. The Provincial People's Committee spokesman told Thanyan and metal pieces had rained down at about 10.20 a.m. on Monday, May 27. The military command of the district said militants and uh, residents discovered 14 metal pieces allegedly deposited on the island from the explosion. Rumors also suggested that some individuals have retrieved dollars or very cold metal pieces following the UFO's explosion. The deputy police chief told reporters that anyone found guilty of spreading rumors from the incident they would neg- that would negatively affect security on the, on the island would be dealt with according to the law. In other words, st- <laughs> out there, you're going to get caned. Oh, kill. Uh, I, all right. I, I was thinking a little bit more uh, extreme than you were. But. Well, caning out there is one of their, you know, basically you get caught spreading rumors, your backside is going to be really sore. Okay. So it's not as bad as kill, but you'll wish you were. Yeah. Uh, they said that the security on the island has been stable thus far. When residents found the metal debris on Tuesday, district authorities said that they contacted airlines in Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, but did not receive any immediate news of any missing aircraft. So you're a UFO researcher. You want hard evidence of the existence of these ships? Send me a piece. I'll tell you what it's made out of. Well, that's what I mean. If, if somebody was able to get you one of these pieces, you could do the necessary testing on it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what, just what are your thoughts on the way this is being handled? I mean, it sounds like the uh, the government's not really that keen on, on hearing about it. Well, what's going to happen is these pieces are going to wind up going to some government official's office. They're going to be put into a secured area, and nobody's ever going to hear about them again. They'll be right next to the Lost Ark, huh? Or wherever these pieces, I I have a strong suspicion that most likely these pieces will actually wind up in China. Well, uh, is there any possibility that Joan Rambo is still out there and maybe he can get them and get them back to us? Good luck. All right. Well, Rambo, if you're listening, you know because they they got wi they don't have Wi-Fi in New Mexico, but they have it out in Vietnam. So, John Rambo, if you're listening, send us those pieces, okay? And if you don't, let me tell you, Matt Moniz is your worst nightmare. All right, why don't we take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Bigfoot research. We'll talk about maybe some of the local sightings. Maybe you've seen Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about your mother-in-law. I'm talking about the actual creature. Give us a call, 508-996-0500, We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. studios of AM 1420 WBSF into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And joining us in the studio is Andy Lake of Greenville Paranormal Research and you know, we, we were talking earlier in the show about Bigfoot, 
Sasquatch, whatever you want to call the creature. I mean, it goes by many names. It goes by many uh, descriptions. But basically, you know, we're talking about a, a seven, eight-foot hairy hominid uh, who walks on two legs and is seen for just the briefest of glimpses. And uh, we we talked earlier about how there's you know sightings of these creatures in the Bridgewater Triangle and. Over the years, there's been some even down here as far as the South Coast area. Matt Moniz, I know that you had an encounter when you were younger, didn't you? No, that was actually my mother. That was your mother, right, right. And well, just for, for those who haven't uh, heard, can you just kind of recount a little bit about what she saw? Sure. Uh, April 1967, right here in Fairhaven, right down the road. Uh, my mother was basically nine months pregnant with me, uh, coming up where... Uh, New Boston Road crosses over 195. They were just building 195 at that time. She was driving to pick up my father at my grandmother's house, and uh, as she was coming around the corner, this large bipedal uh, creature with what she described as red hair, very much the same color as a, um, you know, an Irish setter would have. She mm-hmm. says that that colored red uh, ran in front of her car, and she narrowly missed hitting it with the car uh, by a matter of a foot. And she said this thing took two bounds to cross the entire road. Uh, she screeched to a halt. This thing, when it cleared the side of the road, grabbed a hold of a tree, spun around, and was looking back at her. She was no more. She says she was no more than maybe ten feet away from the thing. And it's staring back at her. She's staring at it. She has the window down. She said it had a very much human appearance in terms of its face, but it had what she called a Bob Hope nose, how the nose kind of flips ski, up. Ski, ski slope, slope kind of nose. Yeah, or very similar to a proboscis monkey. said the thing was over, definitely over six feet tall and had brown eyes and she distinctly remembers the eyes staring back at her and her staring at it and they were there for about 30 seconds or so looking back and forth at each other said thing let go of the tree had five fingers just like we do and slowly turned around and walked in walked into the woods and she drove to my father's house there in a panic and proceeded to tell a story now my grandmother told me this story similar and mm-hmm. my father I mean all my aunts and uncles like this definitely shook her up shook her up and you said she had the window open yes was she able to get any kind of odor from it she said barely a whiff of something like um, uh, she said a slight sulfury smell so and now I just assume that your mom was somebody who you know when she told you something like this you would put some weight to it uh, an old Irish you know you know, from Boston, no nonsense type mm-hmm. of youngest of thirteen children. She didn't have time to mess around with you know things like that. So, yeah, well, this is what she was saying. She saw this is what she saw. So you were having encounters with the paranormal even before you were outside. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, that doesn't surprise me. They seem to be drawn to you. You know, different experiences. But, but now I know that you've researched a number of cryptids too. So I mean, yep. we can talk about any one of those if people want to call up and talk about some of these different sightings as well but we have a call here on the line so let's take it good evening you're on spooky south coast how you doing good evening tim hey keith how you doing good how are you doing we're spooktacular good talking about cryptids and i just heard uh matt's rendition there yeah how are we doing keith good how are you doing 
I've been busy as hell. I bet you have been. <laughs> I want to ask Matt what about what year that was. 1967, April to be exact. Oh, really? Because there was, in Warwick, reports of some bipedal creature roaming around. Um, this is like in 1975, and it was spotted, I guess, a few times. And it seemed to disappear and uh, never came back. But it was around the region where the old apex used to be. You remember where that used to be? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, the old apex. And uh, it was spotted a few times, and uh, I guess it really traumatized one of the witnesses pretty bad. And it was described as... Um, I'm not sure how tall it was, but uh, it certainly was simian in appearance, but disturbingly human features about the, the facial features. And uh, it was uh, spotted, and in fact, it freaked somebody out. They, one of the people who were talking about it said, well, I'm going to prove this thing is not does not exist. So he staked out the parking lot of Apex. Then about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, the state police saw him just... I don't know, he was going about uh, 100 miles an hour or, or topped that uh, on 295 north. And so police tried to stop him, but the state trooper couldn't get him to stop. I guess finally he got him to stop, and he found out that he was in a panic. He was just he was hyperventilating. Once he got him to calm down a little bit, he said that he actually saw the thing in the parking lot, and that's how much it uh, spooked him. Now, I know that, that where that apex was was eventually a, a pretty... Um commercial area how was yeah, it back it's pretty then pretty developed now and uh it, i guess it was somewhat developed back then too but the thing is there was woods surrounding it there was woods right right next to it and um it's weird because right after that they fenced it off with the metal fencing i guess the dem fence put fences there and everything mm -hmm. right after the uh, reports of the sighting and supposedly they did found find tracks but it was never apprehended or positively identified now I, I could uh, I could take a little bit of a Massachusetts snow approach and say, you know that is a it's, it's a rare sighting whenever anything walks on two legs in Warwick. Oh, <laughs> this is true. But I say that coming from the armpit of Massachusetts, so <laughs> <laughs> I can get away with taking a few cracks at people. But yeah. No, I mean it's it's definitely something that in this area uh, people don't talk about it a lot, but there is a high number of sightings uh, in the East Coast and especially in this area. Uh, because we do have access to oceans, I mean, we're not that you can come out of the uh, come out of the woods and go to the ocean and be back in the woods in a matter of minutes. Yeah. So we, I mean, it, it's a good environment even, for it. We've even had some uh, sighting reported back uh, years ago of something in the uh, Oakland Beach area, which has been affectionately nicknamed Oki Pokey. Ah. You know, well, like uh, there's a uh, Champ and Ogopogo, mm -hmm. and it's all. We have Okie Pokey. <laughs> well, anytime you get a name on it, then you can have a festival. That's right. That's true. Um, the Okie they... Pokey Festival. We should do that. They, uh, they already have the Oakland Beach Festival. Maybe they should rename it. Yeah. Do we turn ourselves about when we do it? Or I guess so. I was going to say, usually <laughs> usually they're having an Okie Pokey Festival, but it's usually high school kids in their cars, you know? Right. That's true. Down at the submarine races. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's my two cents anyway. Well, thank you for joining in. And Now, now you have a... a you have a ghost hunting class coming up? I'm not, yes, but I'm not sure where it is. But, of course, it's, it's on my site, uh, nearparanormal.com. It should be coming in up within a month or so, so. Yeah, I thought there was one in July in New Bedford. I think there is. I think there might be. And um, it's definitely listed. If it is, it's definitely listed on my site at Near Paranormal. All I have to do is go to the events uh, page, which is right in the front. So, Who you got coming up on uh, Ghosts or Near? 
Um, well, we just did a uh, the Lovecraft tribute. Um, you know, we taped some highlights from that. I videotaped some highlights from that and, and presented that. And uh, pretty soon we've got um, Brian Hanwa and his uh, lovely lady Michelle coming up as guests. Excellent. Really, the 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 couple themselves. Yes, the couple themselves. Very and, interesting. And as always, you guys are always welcome to stop by. You know, you have a an open invitation. You need a cameraman. <laughs> No, 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 that, that's, that's not it at all. Really. Well, if no, I do, really, if I do come, I want to, I want to do camera if I come. Okay, I have years of experience in, in television production. Well, we know you'll be on the job. We we'll have a professional team then. Hey, uh, Keith, it's Andrew Lake. Hey, how are you doing? Not how too are you bad. Doing? I just literally got back from Reading, Pennsylvania. You just got back. Yeah, and I just wanted to thank you guys. I, you know, as I returned your email, I I thank you for the uh, invitation to come on the show, but uh, I just couldn't make it. I was too busy. Well, we'll look forward to you coming on sometime soon. We really would like you to come on and uh, talk about the uh, wonderful presentation you did. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'd, I'd very much like to do that. Yeah, we were very impressed by that, and that really it really set the mood well, with Tom's music especially and everything, and you, you guys narrating it. That was, that was great. Oh, that's great. I look forward to seeing you. Okay, look forward to seeing you soon. All right, take care, Keith. All right, take care now, guys. Stay safe. Bye-bye. All right, yeah, I mean, it's it's... Ghosts are near. It's on the internet. You can watch it right. Uh, if you go right to their site, nearparanormal.com, you can click on it there and get the link to the Google video. You can see Matt when he was on it, and you can see the other two when they were on. Yeah, it. that one doesn't really turn out as good. But uh, the weird thing about yours, Matt, is whenever I put it on my iPod, you can put these right on your iPod, your PSP, whatever, so you can watch it, take it with you. But whenever I try to watch yours, the audio doesn't come out. What'd you do? It's like his way of keeping himself off off the digital revolution. You can't help it, man. We're podcast baby. All right, but anyway, getting back into the to the Bigfoot stuff. Uh, and Andy, I know that you've done some research into well, some of these creatures. Well, first of all, I just want to make it clear that um, I am a ghost hunter, and uh, I've been fascinated with Bigfoot uh, since I was a, a real little kid. Um, and I personally don't feel there's anything paranormal about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a very clever, sensitive, cunning animal. I don't think they breed like rabbits. I think they, uh, uh, their numbers aren't that, you know, that great. That's why we don't see them that often. But I've just recently been, uh, been bitten again by the, the Bigfoot mystery because uh, uh, some of you probably picked up the book um, uh, Weird New England. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in that they made the comment that in all 50 states of the United States, you know, Rhode Island's the one state where you don't, you know, see Bigfoot. And as Keith just called in and told um, that, that story, which I find very interesting because that spot in Warwick, uh, if you were to follow the water, uh, the, uh, the river that runs through there, it would take you real quick into West Warwick uh, and then very quickly into uh, where West Warwick and Situate meet which is where the reservoir is, and uh, that's very secluded woods. It's, you can't go near it. The reservoir is very uh, closely guarded. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't take very long for an animal like that to come out of the reservoir area and find itself down in the boggy swamps. Um, those swamps uh, have uh, herons in them to this day. I mean, if you go by the malls there, I mean, there's a lot of wildlife in that water, and I could see how something could wander in a very short period of time out of that reservoir area and end up in Warwick. Uh, but the, the stories that um, uh, that came up that I had never heard before uh, was back in around the same time in the early to mid-70s down in South County. And there's a very interesting story about a, a, a woman and her son uh, used to go out and j- um, not jack deer with a, with a gun, but they used to go out with their station wagon spot. and spot deer. 
And it was something her very young son used to love doing. And he, one night he had said, you know, Mom, can we go out and, and do it? And she didn't want to say no to the, uh, the young guy. And she took him out into the, uh, the swamp area in South County. And a storm started to brew. And by the time they got out to about one of their favorite places to do this, it just turned into a torrential downpour. And she was telling her son that, I'm, I'm sorry that, you know, we're going to have to, you know, 86 this and try it another night. And she's on a, uh, a dirt road in the middle of the, uh, the management area. And she's trying to do, a, you know, probably like a seven-point turn to get the station wagon turned around. And there was a uh, broken um, uh, uh, tree uh, nearby, so you had the, the stump with a large trunk still attached to it. And as her headlights swept over it, uh, her little son starts screaming his head off because there is a, a, um, a white man-like ape creature standing by the tree um, in this downpour just staring at them. It was only... He figures it was probably only a little over six foot, probably around six five, and just standing there. And uh, she's trying to desperately turn the car around. It, it didn't molest them. It didn't come after them. Uh, didn't intimidate them. It was just very scary. And uh, uh, I've I've heard that years later, this guy has said that you know I've never really been a big Bigfoot person even after that sighting myself with my mother. But when I look back on it, who would have you know created such a sophisticated suit? and then stand out in a rainstorm in the middle of a management yeah. area hoping that someone might come by with a car yeah, so I can scare them, yeah. It's one thing if it's like, you know, uh, some sort of camping retreat going on or, you know, some reason that you can go out there and, and cause a stir. Yeah. But, you know, hoping for one isolated incident, yeah. it doesn't seem like... And then what backs it up is uh, only uh, not even two years later, if I understand right, there was a college student going to URI, and he was staying at his girlfriend's down 138. 138 takes you back up to URI, and this is in the same vicinity of Rhode Island. Because keep in mind, Rhode Island's the size of a Triscuit cracker, so <laughs> you know, you know, it's, everything's pretty close by. But he was uh, leaving her house on a Sunday to ride his uh, 10 speed back to the university, and he stopped to make a, uh, an adjustment to the bike. I believe it was to his brakes, and heard a, uh, a loud scuffle going on in the woods nearby. And it was one of those old New England farmer's walls by the edge of the road. And as he's adjusting his, uh, his bike, he's wondering, gee, what is this, you know, moving around in the woods? This is a lot of noise. And only a few yards away from him, this white, hairy, man-like creature steps right over the farmer's wall to the edge of the road, and it's looking around, and it turns and sees him. And he immediately gets the stuffing scared right out of him. And he jumps on his bike and decides, I'm not going to URI. I'm heading back to the girlfriend's house. And he says this thing padded after him for several yards. And uh, I uh, started looking around on the Internet after the, uh, the Pennsylvania sightings, and I found the, uh, the, uh, the group that the, uh, the photographs were given to, um, which I believe was the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, if I'm getting their name right. And uh, they have a, a map of the United States. I was just curious, gee, have they ever heard of these Rhode Island sightings? And I went to it, and sure enough, I, you know, they had quite a bit on them as well as, um, uh, you know, uh, reports made by these people. And wouldn't you know it, I went back just the other night, and they don't have it on their site anymore. Wow. So I'm wondering if they've done their homework and they feel that this has been a hoax or if they're revamping their site or whatever, but it's kind of frustrated me. So now, even though I am a ghost hunter, I've, I've decided that um, I'm going to do my best to look into this and see if I can get, you know, more of the meat, you know, with Keith's story. I'm starting to think. Oh, real quick before we go, Keith was talking about a, a, a sea monster mm -hmm. in Warwick. I think I might have the explanation for that, and it's kind of funny. I worked with a guy named Raymond when I worked for uh, Kent County Memorial Hospital, and Raymond was a um, uh, very much into um, cold-blooded creatures, herpetology, and he got a hold of a baby 
uh, Nile monitor. And he raised this thing till it was well over six feet in length. And he used to put it on a dog harness and pot a womit in the backyard. <laughs> and it was a big sucker and powerful. And he went out to uh, feed it some lettuce and fruit one uh, afternoon, and it had gotten right out of the harness and disappeared. And he and his friends, trying not to raise any attention to themselves, went looking around at Goddard Park, hoping they could find this thing. And uh, every once in a while, they'd get these stories about someone seeing a monster in Goddard Park or in Warwick Harbor. And long story short, they eventually found it. It was right in, uh, near the, uh, the end of autumn. And the, the poor thing was almost, you know, you know frozen because it doesn't take much cold weather to kill a, uh, a lizard like that. They need warm uh, weather. But he ended up getting it home and nursing it back to health and then donated it to, I believe, I want to say the Staten Island Zoo. I might be getting that wrong. But um, he told me the story, and shortly afterwards, he gets a phone call out of the blue at his parents' house in Potawatomi from a woman who was told by a, a counselor, a psychiatrist she was seeing, and he told her that if you have any mysteries, anything going on in your life that you've never answered the questions, you really have to find an answer to it. And she did some research and found people still living in the Potawatomi area that was like, you know, I think you should talk to this, this guy, Ray. And she called him out of the blue and she told him this story about seeing the sea monster come up into her backyard and described it. And this guy, Ray, couldn't help but laugh. He goes, ma'am, I'm, I'm convinced that was my Nile monitor that was, that was on the loose for a good summer and uh, part of a, a, the autumn until I got it back. So maybe that's what uh, you know, Keith uh, has heard about. It, it just goes to show, you know, if you, if you keep your lizard out on a runner, you've got to make sure that it can't get out of the harness. Yes. You know, it happens all the time. You always hear stories yeah, yeah. about that. But uh, getting back to the, to the Bigfoots, I mean, it seems like a lot of these Bigfoots or Bigfeet? I think it would be Bigfoots. Sasquatch. Yeah. That yeah. works, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it seems like, you know, a lot of these reports coming from the 60s and 70s that maybe we've kind of developed them back you know, develop them back more inland, away from our coastal areas, uh, maybe because you know, we're running out of land ourselves here. You know, it's, you can't help but bump into somebody else now when you're building. or, or there's, there's very small pockets of where they could exist. In However, obviously to exist, they don't need a small amount of forest. They need a large amount of forest because they need to be able to, you know, move around in it. Um, and we're cutting back so much that they, we might just get them totally out of this area. I know, Matt, one thing that we talked about before with Donald LaCroix was the idea of putting uh, a rail line right through the middle of the Hockamock Swamp and, and into the, you know, around the Bridgewater Triangle. And that could be another thing that if that is like one of the few pockets where these creatures still exist, that could be something else that would drive them right out. Eventually, would they be driven out into, you know, into the public? Would we eventually just drive them out to where they can't hide anymore? Or are they just going to stay one step ahead of us? Looking at how other creatures... Um, move around when these type of things happen. Well, these things are supposedly nocturnal, given the behavior that's been witnessed by most of the people. Uh, they move around in the daytime because of either needing to migrate because of activity going on mm -hmm. in where where they're at. Like I said, where my mother encountered this thing, they were building 195. They were, you know, that's a major four-lane highway. So, uh, and other places where they're commonly seen, their habitat is being removed, mostly seen by loggers out in the West Coast. You know, um, you're removing their habitat. Of course, they're going to be seen during the daytime. But most of the sightings are at night uh, by common people, not in areas where they're removing the um, their habitat, so to speak. Now, I noticed that we, we've got a few minutes, uh, few minutes here left in the show, but I noticed you brought in all these casts and 
And these are something that you've uh, recently acquired. Yes, these are from my own personal collection. Yeah. And these, uh, I'm assuming you're going to be bringing these with you to TAPSCON. Yes. Because I know you're bringing a number of different examples of different evidence you've collected in different fields of different right. segments of the paranormal field. Correct. So uh, what, what exactly are these from? Are they all from the same type of area, the same sighting? They or? are all from the same area, yes. They are all from Cal- Northern California in the Bluff Creek area. I have an actual copy of the Bluff Creek cast taken from the incident with uh, Gimlin and Patterson. Mm-hmm. So as you can see, this is a very large, large foot. It might be a little bit bigger than mine. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's slightly large, but this is uh, a cast taken from the actual event of that day. Oops, sorry, Andy. That's okay. Uh, here's some of the uh, information that goes along with it. Uh, it was um, it was the original cast was taken back in 1967. Uh, the person I got this from has a collection of uh, copies, and what they do is they make a copy for you and you can actually buy these if you if you're you know serious about you mm-hmm. know researching this i have another one that was taken at onion mountain which is slightly west of um bluff creek in california this one contains all the dermal ridges and that to me it, it was that was also taken in 1967 as well that that one to me is the most interesting because it definitely shows you know the dermal ridges to the foot. You know toe toe uh, prints for all intents and purposes, sure. heel and the inside sole and stuff like that. Uh, very very detailed. And the hand comes from roughly the same area. It's a uh, as you can see that is one big hand. I mean they're not just big feet; they have big hands to go with them. Now I noticed too on this one here. Is it from the casting process or? Or does it seem like they have like more palm and, and shorter, shorter fingers? I think that has more to do with the casting process, the way the the handprint was made in the mud. Because if you look, you can see like the imprint of where the actual palm was, and it's actually longer than. Or maybe it's webbing, you know. Maybe it's. Or, somewhere. like I said, it all depends upon the way that the fingers went in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it's definitely a large hand, <laughs> no no doubt about it. Well. I mean, uh, just looking at the the feet and the hands. I mean, the, this thing could definitely play center for the Celtics. It, now, when these were, uh, when when this creature was discovered and these casts were taken, I mean, was there any way for them to to verify that there couldn't have been any other animal that would have made it? I mean, are we just positive that there's no other creature that could have done it? I mean, looking at it, I mean, they're they're distinctly primate looking. Uh, they're. Very primate looking, especially the hand. Uh, a bear is not going to make anything close mm-hmm. to resembling that, uh, and that would be the only other animal that could possibly be that size. You know, a, you know, a, a large grizzly or something like that would have a a paw print that would make approximately that size, but it doesn't have the digits like. Yeah, it wouldn't look nearly like. I mean, that definitely has an opposable thumb to it. Yes. There is definitely a human handprint. No if, no and, no but, but it's much larger than what you would be accustomed to seeing. Now, I know that you wouldn't have any problem going face-to-face with one of these creatures. I don't know. But uh, do you think that, you know, in order for that to happen, it's it's going to be 
a situation where it's you know do or die for the researcher? Do you think, or do you think that these creatures are, you know, like we talked before, you know, they're like deer-like creatures where they're just going to turn and run? I have a feeling that at some point, like you're saying, we're we're shrinking their habitat area, and unfortunately, it's or fortunately for science, depending upon which your viewpoint is. I don't think it's not so much that anybody's going to shoot it. I think it's going to be basically a roadkill case. It's going to really, get, yeah. I mean, they're seeing that's where most of the sightings are seen at the edges of roads, mm-hmm. you know, crossing a road. And uh, all it's going to, like I said, my own mother missed one by by a yeah, foot. It's, so it's not going to be a pretty sight when it happens for yeah. the creature or for the the car. Yeah, and I don't think uh, my insurance covers Bigfoot smashes. But I mean, <laughs> we're talking about something that's bigger than hitting a moose. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I don't know. I mean, no, some of those moose up in Maine. I was going to say moose would actually be larger, but yeah, it, it, it's not going to be pretty. But then again, you got to look at the other side of it. They're going to pay you a lot of money for that carcass. So whatever vehicle you yeah. drive is going to be paid as long for. As, it. You, as long as you make it out all right. Hey, at least a million, right? Well, remember what happened to the Hendersons, though? When they hit Harry. <laughs> Didn't get rid of them. Yeah. Donuts. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So you don't think it's an interdimensional being? You think you think it's a, an actual? I think it is some a previously undiscovered hominid of some type. Yeah. And uh, who knows if there's if there's at least one out there, Matt? Then maybe we can mate them and have our own little Bigfoot zoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, you live on an island, so it'd be really easy to contain them. Yeah. Actually, they've been seen in water and swimming. So really, yeah. Well, maybe we can't stop them. I can just picture them, you know. Going across the water to Marion over there, like popping into somebody's yard. Gildas. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I've seen some of the hairy hominids that hang out at Gildas, so it wouldn't surprise me if Bigfoot went there as well. All right, so there you have it, folks. I mean, if you've had a Bigfoot uh, experience, a sighting, and you want to share it with us, you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can always go to our MySpace page as well, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast, and you can share your experiences there as well. Uh, and then... What we can do is, you know, Matt, the next time we do some sort of event, maybe at Lizzie Boyd's or something, we'll have you bring the stuff along as well, and, you know, maybe we'll have you give a little discussion about Bigfoot. Actually, what I'm thinking of doing is taking all of the stuff that I've collected over the years and borrowing some stuff from some other people and doing the like Matt that. Matt Roadshow. Well, <laughs> not so much me, tour. but it's not me that's important. It's, well, yeah. It's the, it's the min- material that yeah. is, yeah. But, you know, it helps to have somebody there that can explain the evidence to you as well. Yeah. And, you know, we can uh, – we'll come up with something. We'll definitely come up with some sort of form uh, for that to happen. But if, you know, you have any sightings that you want to report, just please do that to us, and we'll try to follow up on them as best we can. Next week we'll be on at our regular time, 10 o'clock Eastern time, and I think we're going to try to put together our Bridgewater Triangle show. I know it's short notice for all the investigators out there, but if you'd like to participate in next week's annual Bridgewater Triangle investigation show, because uh, we're running out of time where we can get it done. So uh, All you got to do is email me, tim at spookysouthcoast.com, or actually email me, uh, timweisberg at hotmail.com. And what we'll do is we'll put something together. Uh, get a hold of me via MySpace, too, as well. We'll put something together. We'll put some teams out in the field. Maybe we'll even come on at 9 o'clock if uh, the powers that be will let us. And, uh, Andy, if you're around, you know, you're more than welcome to join You know, i got to be shooting some uh, night vision photography for an upcoming documentary that Tom D'Agostino and I are doing. Okay. We're doing The Ghost of Rehoboth. Oh, there you go. So maybe, well, you'll be out there already, yeah, then. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe yeah, we could do I'll that. I'll be playing with them. Yeah. Oh, well, so yeah, you guys so are already out there. Maybe we could be uh, so. the remote team. Yeah, there you go. 
Well, then, so we have some investigators on board, but we need more. So get a hold of us and let us know. Until next week, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to.